Well, today we are on our last, uh, last sermon, our last part of our origin story series. And uh, what origin story is all about, we're looking at the life of Moses and his origin story. We typically see Moses as this guy who, who does incredible things. God, God uses him mightily to part the Red Sea, to receive the Ten Commandments. Uh, he, he just is constantly in the presence of God, and we think, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. Well, the thing was, Moses wasn't good enough either. Moses lived a pretty uh, reckless, pretty rough life before God finally called him. And so I believe that as we look at his origin story, we see that God uses normal people like you and I and like Moses to do incredible things. So that's what we're looking at today. And where we left off this last week, Moses was at the burning bush, and he just had this incredible God moment. I mean, this incredible encounter with God at the burning bush, the Lord spoke to him, and, and he heard his audible voice, and Moses starts having a conversation. The Lord reveals to him his, his name. He says, I am who I am. All right, I'm the God of your father, Isaac, or of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the great I am. So he tells him his name, and he gives him, I, I love this, he gives him superpowers, right? He, he gives him the ability to change the, a staff into a snake and back again. His hand would turn uh, into leprosy when he'd pull it out of his cloak and stick it back in. It'd be healed again. He could take water from the Nile, pour it out, and it would turn into blood. And, and so God would, gave him all of these supernatural abilities to show the people that he was truly sent by God. And to show Pharaoh that, that he meant business. And, and so God pours out and Moses makes all these excuses. He says, I can't do it. What if I'm not good enough? What if they don't listen to me? Uh, what, what if I can't speak very well? And finally he just says, God, I can't do it. You know, send somebody else. But God convinces him, no, Moses, you're the guy. And so Moses walks away from that burning bush experience saying, all right, this is it. It's, it's go time. I've, I've got to do something. I've got to change. I, I have this call in my life to go free the Israelites, God's people, out of slavery in Egypt, and I'm the guy to do it. So he's had this encounter with God, and now he's got to go back and, and break the news to his family. Right? Have you ever been in a time where you had an incredible, powerful moment with God. Maybe he was at an altar. Maybe he was at a, a camp or a, a conference that you went to, and God just really met with you that day. Or maybe you're just driving to work, and, and God really spoke to you. And then you go back home, and uh, you run into a, a situation. Now you have to, you had this big spiritual moment, but now you have to go back to your old life. Ever been there before? You got to go back to the old things. No one, you've changed, but no one else has changed. Your family hasn't changed. Your house hasn't changed. You've got to go back to the, the same family who maybe isn't serving Jesus. You've got to go back to the same house or the same room that's still full of the temptations uh, that, that weigh you down so much. You've got to go back to the same job with the same coworkers who have those, those same conversations that you usually join in. And, and now you've got to decide, what do I do? What do I do? Do I go back to the status quo of everything or do I live a changed life? Because that's what Moses was, was facing here. How do you handle it when the spiritual world and the physical world collide? See, Moses could go back and he could say, all right, that was really nice at the burning bush, but, you know, I'm not there anymore. I gotta, I've got my duties as a shepherd to, to keep up. I really don't want to shake up my family too much. I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And he could have just given in to say, I'm just going to keep the peace. 
I'm just going to keep the peace with my family. This would be a big move for them. Or he can go and have some difficult conversations with people and say, hey, honey, you know what? God told me we're, we're moving to Egypt. Hey, hey, father-in-law, hey, we got to do this. And, and so he's faced with which one do I do? How do I, how do, I do this? And I've seen this so many times happen with, with camps, with our camps and our conferences. God will shake up students and their lives will be totally different. I mean, completely different. God's put them on a new journey or maybe God's called them into ministry or maybe God's uh, saved them or called them to missions or filled them with the Holy Spirit. And then they go back home and they have to decide, do I tell my parents or do I not? You know, oh, I don't know how, that's, how they're going to receive me. It, it's really easy to tell somebody you know, that's maybe it's easy to tell your pastor or a good Christian friend uh, what's going on because you know they're going to be excited. Like, oh, that's awesome. That's so great. I'm so proud of you. This is great. Let me pray for you. But when you go back home, it's, oh, I don't know how they're going to receive that. This is going to be a tough conversation. So let's see how Moses handled it because he had a lot of people in his life that he needed to talk to. So why don't you open up your Bibles to Exodus, Exodus chapter 4. And let me tell you a little bit while you're, while you're turning to Exodus chapter 4, uh, just a little bit about the family life that Moses is going back home to, because I think this, this will really help us get a better idea of some of the conversations that Moses has to have. See, when Moses fled from Egypt and he went into the desert, he went into a land called Midian. And uh, he married a Midianite woman and they had two sons. Their names were uh, Gershom and Eleazar. Now, the Midianites, they were not followers of God. They were a pagan people. In fact, 40 years later, they would try to tempt the Israelites uh, into idol worship, uh, into sexual immorality, and, and they did. And the Israelites fell for it hook, line, and sinker, and they teamed up with, with the Midianites. And it cost them because they, they stopped following God. 24,000 people of the Israelites died. It was, it was brutal because of their unfaithfulness to God. See, this, the Midianite clan was a tribe that was known for child sacrifice and, and temple prostitution. And this was the tribe of people that Moses married into. These weren't good people, right? And let me say this today. Just, this is a little piece of advice. Let me save you a lot of heartache. For anybody who's not married in here, maybe you're uh, dating somebody, you're looking to date somebody, or someday down the road you know, hey, I, I'm going to get married. Let me give you a little piece of advice that I think Moses would tell you uh, today. It's this. If you're in here and you're dating somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, who, who doesn't follow the Lord, uh, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. That might sound hard. Uh, the Bible even would go as far to call it, it's a sin. Think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So while that might be kind of harsh and kind of brutal, because you think, but I love that person. I mean, we get along. We seem so compatible. This, this is great. I enjoy spending time with them. But think about it. The thing you care about most in the whole world, Jesus. Right? That should be your number one. If we're following Jesus, if, if he is your absolutely number one, and, and you go and you want to talk to your spouse about that, and they just said, yeah, I don't care about that. How's that going to work? 
play that out a, a few years down the road and you, you're having kids and, and now you're, you're trying to train up your kids and you want to bring them to church, but your spouse doesn't, right? You want to teach them this is the way we should live, but, but you guys don't see eye to eye. That should be our number one criteria for who to marry is, is marrying someone who, who follows God, who loves God. And I think this was some advice that Moses wished he would have followed earlier on because he, he married into this, this pagan tribe. And we'll see how uh, this affects his marriage a little, little while on. So let's see, how does Moses handle going back uh, to this people? How does he handle going back to the Midianites and telling them, hey, this is what God spoke to me? So Exodus chapter 4, verse 18 says this. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they're still alive. Go in peace, Jethro said. So conversation number one, right? Moses, he, he goes to his father-in-law. And I bet, it, again, it was tempting. It was tempting for Moses to go back home and, and not tell anyone anything and, and just try to cover it up or just pretend like it didn't happen. But instead, he, he goes back and he has a difficult conversation. Let me give you just three quick points that we're going to keep coming back to throughout all the different conversations that Moses had. Uh, you, can, you can write these down because it's just going to keep popping up of what we should do when we have a spiritual encounter. Uh, first thing is this, have difficult conversations. Be willing to have difficult conversations. Don't avoid them. Don't run away from them, but run towards them because it's only going to help you. The longer that you hold off those difficult conversations, the easier it is for you to forget what God did at the burning bush. The easier it is for you to forget what God did at this altar. So I encourage you, have those difficult conversations. The second thing is this. You are not responsible for how the people respond to those difficult situations. Uh, we'll see here there is a mixed bag of responses uh, to how, to when Moses has difficult conversations with his family. Some receive it well, some receive it not so well. But you're not responsible for those responses. You're just responsible for sharing your story. The third thing is this. Your obedience and your disobedience, either or, uh, to God, they affect the people around you. They're going to affect your family. When you're disobedient to God, that has an impact on your children and it has an impact on the next generation. When you're obedient to God, it has a positive impact to the next generation, to the people around you. So we're going to see that theme play out in all the conversations that Moses has. So Moses, he, he gets back from the burning bush, and the first person he comes across is Jethro, his father-in-law, who's also the, a priest in this pagan society, and he's also his boss. Now, I would have to believe, again, that this would be a tempting conversation to avoid. You know, who likes talking to their in-laws? Some people do. I don't mind. They're good people. They're also here today, so I got to be nice. <laughs> But can you imagine what that, that felt like? Can you imagine how that played out, that conversation? You know, he, he goes up to Jethro. Uh, hey, hey, Dad. Uh, you mind if I call you Dad? Okay. Okay, Jethro. Uh, so I know you may not like this, but I think I need to tell you something. Uh, I got to go head back to Egypt. Yeah, yeah, the place where all my family are slaves. Yep. Yeah, that's, yes, yep, I am wanted for murder back there as well. And, oh, by the way, Jethro, uh, I'm going to be taking your daughter and your grandsons, and uh, we're, we're going to head back there because I, I think we need to go visit some family. So, oh, also, I quit. Yeah. So, you know, just, I can't be your shepherd anymore. You're going to have to go find somebody else. 
I can't imagine how that conversation, he's probably sitting there going back from Mount Sinai thinking, okay, how am I going to tell him? How am I going to tell him? This is going to be a difficult conversation. You know, this is going to be tough. And he's probably worried about it. He's worried about it. He's worried about it. And what's, what's crazy is he, he says that. And then Jethro's response is, you read it there, go in peace. I can't imagine the, the weight that just fell off of Moses' shoulders. Like, oh, man. Whew. Okay, that wasn't, God, that wasn't so bad. But that was a hard conversation to have. So let me ask you this today. If God changed your life today, if, if he met you at these altars, if, if he told you to go be a missionary across the globe, who would it be difficult to have a conversation with? Who, who would you want to avoid telling? Who would you, maybe a spouse, maybe your boss, maybe your parents, maybe your coworkers, right? That's, that's the situation that Moses is in. I also want to note in here that, that when he went to go talk to, to Jethro, uh, he didn't say, hey, father-in-law, you need to make all these changes. God called me, so uh, you need to accommodate me. You need to change this. You need to change that. You need to give me a better space. You need to do this. When Moses went to Jethro, he, he said, hey, Jethro, I just want to let you know, I had an encounter with God, and, and I need to change. I, I need to do things differently. See, sometimes we can go back home, and we can say, hey, you know, you need to change, you need to go to church, you need to do this, you need to do this. But that change has to start with us. It has to start with us. We, we need to go back and say, you know what, I need to live differently. I need, I need to change. So I love, again, Jethro's response. He says, go in peace. So he responded with blessing. So conversation number one with the father-in-law, check. We got that one done. That was an easy one. Uh, so let's keep reading. Verse 19. It says, before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. Now, this, this portion, it had to be reassuring to Moses, because he steps out, he has that difficult conversation with his father-in-law, with Jethro. And now all of a sudden, God gives him kind of the next step. He reassures him. And so while this isn't the burning bush way that God spoke to him, clearly God is rewarding him and continuing to talk to Moses. And he says, I just want to let you know some good news. There's an open door for you back in Egypt. Everybody who wanted you dead, who wanted your head, they're gone. They, they've died. You've got safe travel back to Egypt. And so that's all good news. So Moses rallies the family together. Again, we don't have written converse, uh, the conversation of how Moses told uh, Zipporah, his wife, and his kids, Gershom and Eliezer. We don't know what, what happened, but we knew that it, it's probably a difficult conversation. Again, maybe it sounded something like this. You know, hey, wife and the kids, I know that you've lived your entire life here, right? But, but just hear me out. You've lived your entire life here. You've lived in the desert. And uh, this is your home. All your family's here. All your friends are here. But we're going to pack up and we're going to leave everything. Right? We're, we're going to load up. I've got the donkeys packed. You know, you've, you've got an hour. Let's, let's load up. Let's get out of here. And, uh, oh, where are we going? Well, we're, going back to, we're going back to Egypt. You know, uh, yeah, that, that place where my people are, they're all slaves. That's the place. But I just want to let you know, good news, guys. I'm no longer wanted for murder there, so it's going to be okay, right? I, I can't imagine the tough conversation that he had of telling his family, you got to move. Maybe you can remember a time in your life where your parents came in and said, hey, 
pack up. We're moving to a new state. We're going to a new school. And that can be difficult. And so I, I can't imagine the difficult conversation that Moses had here, but clearly he had it. And so you get a couple different responses. First, you got the father-in-law who responds with blessing. And as we'll see here in just a moment, his wife responds with, with pushback. She doesn't want to go to Egypt. She doesn't want to follow this journey that God has laid out for Moses. But in both instances, Moses communicated the change and he followed God's will. Again, he's not responsible for how they react. He's just responsible to be faithful with the story that God has given him. And when Moses aligned with God's will, when he lined up and he said, all right, God, we're going to do this, it literally changed the course of his family, right? It had an impact on the next generation. No longer were they living in this pagan tribe, but they were heading back towards God's people. They were headed in a new direction. His sons Gershom and Eleazar and his wife were all headed back in a new direction because our obedience to God, again, affects the future generations. It affects the people around us. See, I've, I've seen uh, story after story, and, and we could probably go through every person here, and you have a story uh, of how you were invited to church for the first time. I, I've seen it where a kid comes to uh, an event, maybe an Easter egg hunt, uh, maybe kids conference, and they come and they are just so excited for what God is doing in this place that they can't wait to come back. And so they beg mom and dad, mom and dad, please, can we go back can we go back? It's so much fun over in the kids' zone at AFA. Can, can we go back? And so after a while, eventually the parents give in, and, and that's the first time that they ever stepped foot, and that's where they heard the gospel because their kid invited them to church. I've seen it with teenagers where a teenager comes, and, and, and God totally moves in their life and, and changes their life. And, and so they invite the parents back. The parents notice, man, my teenager is actually behaving. They're doing good. They're listening, right? Something must be going on at that church over there. So I, I got to go check this out for myself. So maybe you're here this morning because your teenager invited you. I've seen it. Or, or maybe you came, but your spouse didn't come. And so you came and, and God worked in your heart and changed your life. And, and so you went back home and maybe you had a difficult conversation and you invited your spouse back to church and maybe they didn't come the first week, maybe they didn't come the first year, maybe they didn't come the first decade, but now they're in the pew next to you today, right? And your spouse invited you or maybe it was your parents. I know for me, uh, mine goes back a couple generations. My grandpa was the first one to get saved the first one to experience the, the healing power, the amazing power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he invited his family to come. And, and so they grew up in, in the church. And because of that, my family grew up in the church. And I'm here because somebody invited my grandpa many years ago, right? We all have a story. It all starts with that one. See, some of you today, you may be the first one here in your family. You may be the first one here. But I believe that as we continue to pray, as you continue to live for God, that God is going to transform your family. Don't give up. Don't give up. So you may have lost loved ones, but this may just be the start. See, Moses went back and his, his family was, you know, enshrined in all of these, these pagan cultures and pagan rituals, but he went back and said, hey guys, we're changing direction. And because of that, his family's direction was forever changed, that God would use them in a powerful way because he made the choice to say, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm not just going to keep the status quo, but I'm going to have difficult conversations. So let's keep reading. Let's see what happens next. Uh, in verse 21, it says this, And the Lord told Moses, 
When you arrive back into Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart, so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell them, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. So the Lord continues to speak to Moses. He continues to have this open conversation with Moses as he's faithful, as he has that conversation with his father-in-law, the Lord speaks to him. As he loads up his wife and kids and has that difficult conversation, the Lord continues to speak to him. And so the message that God spoke to him, he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, show him the miracles, show him, show him the staff, throw it on the ground. It'll become a snake. Pick it back up by the tail. It'll become a staff again. Show him that. Show him that I have power uh, over the serpent that he wears on his head. Uh, go to Pharaoh. Show him that when you put your hand in your cloak and pull it out, it's going to turn to leprosy. And, and that when you put it back in and pull it out, it's going to be healed again. Show him that I have the power to heal. And, and take, take a bucket from the Nile. Pick it up and dump it out. Watch it turn into blood. Show him that. Show him that I've got power over life itself. Show him that. And he says, you know what's going to happen? He won't listen to you. Even, even with the miracles, he's not going to listen to you. So then send him this message when he doesn't listen. Because of your sins, because of your disobedience, because you won't let my firstborn child, Israel, go, I'm going to take your firstborn child. I'm going to kill your son. See, Moses was learning that obedience to God blesses your family. But God is also saying the opposite is true here, that disobedience to God negatively affects your family. Because Pharaoh wasn't going to be obedient, it was going to affect his children. It's going to affect his children. See, God, God tells us that, again, in, in the Ten Commandments, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, when we're obedient to God, it has a positive effect on the next generation. But when we're disobedient to God, it has a negative effect on the next generation. So do you want to bless your family? Do you want to bless your family? Or literally, the best thing you can do to bless your family is to love God with all your heart. It's just to obey him, to listen to him, to follow Jesus with everything you have to have those difficult conversations, to show your family the love of Jesus, uh, to break out and do a devotional, to pray with them, to do whatever you can to love on them. Same is true. Do you want to punish your family? Then keep your faith to yourself. Keep your faith to yourself. Don't follow God's will if it's inconvenient. Just try to keep the peace in your house. See, at the end of the day, it's, it's each person's choice to follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus. You, you can't save your kids. You can't send them to heaven. But at the same time, you, you also uh, can't punish your kids. You can't send them to hell. Right? That's a choice that, that they have to make on their own. But your choices do pave the way for future generations. The choices you make can make it easier for them to go one direction or the other. I remember in my high school uh, during the fall... Every day, you know, the football team, we probably had 100-some players, and uh, they'd get all their pads on, their cleats on, and, and they would head out to the practice field. 
And for some reason, they decided to take a single file line out to the practice field every single day. So 100 football players, they're running there, and they take the same path back. Well, after a couple weeks, you could tell what path they were taking. And he was worn out. There was no grass there anymore. It was a nice, smooth path. It was very obvious. And I think of that, and I think that's kind of what we're doing for the next generation. Right? Which, which path are we plowing? Which path are we making smooth? Are we making a way to heaven easy on them? Right? Are we clearing some of the, the hard things because we're taking them to church? We're, we're reading the Bible. We're showing a godly example. I want to make it hard for my kids to choose going to hell. Right? That's, I want to make it easy for my kids to say, man, heaven's the only option for me. Why? I would be crazy to choose anything else. I don't want to pave the path to say, all right, this is okay, kids. This is okay. Let me, let me, let me journey off the, the road here a little bit. Let me clear a path. No, I want to clear a path to heaven for the next generation. And we do that through obedience and obedience day after day, being obedient to God. See, while this is the message that Moses is going to deliver to tell Pharaoh, hey, your disobedience is affecting your next generation. Moses is about to learn the hard way that it, that message also goes for himself. See, Exodus 4 verse 24 says this. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Wait, wait, hold up. I thought he was doing the right thing, right? Moses, he came back. He had the burning bush experience. He, goes, he, he has a hard conversation with Jethro. He has a hard conversation with his wife and with his kids. He loads them all up. He's going back to the promised land and now, or back to Egypt. And now while he's on his way to Egypt, it says that God comes and tries to kill him. Come on, God, make up your mind. What's, what's going on here? What's wrong? See, that, that word that the Lord met him, uh, when this word met is used in scripture, it's used a handful of times. And virtually every time this word met is a violent meeting, right? It's not just a, a meet up and, and see you later, but this is a violent meeting. It was this word, it said that Jacob and Esau met uh, after Esau said, hey, I'm going to take your life, Jacob. It wasn't, uh, this was a scary encounter. It said that David's army and Saul's army met one day, right? Uh, my favorite way that it uses this word met is, it said it was a, uh, like a mama bear who lost her cubs meeting with a guy. Like, that is not a good encounter. Like, we've got an angry bear coming at So this is not a good encounter. Uh, we've got God meeting with Moses. And this is reminiscent of the time that Jacob wrestled with God. Right? This is, this is one of those encounters where, where God and Moses are going at it. I mean, God's got Moses in the death grip. And, and what's going on here? Well, let me give you a backstory. Let me give you some backstory so you understand why Moses uh, was about to be taken down by God here. See, back in Genesis chapter 17, God had made a covenant with Abraham. That'd be Moses' great, 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 great granddad, right? A few generations removed. And Abraham at that time was 99 years old and he had no kids with, with his wife, Sarah. And God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, Abraham, he even gave him a new name. He said, you're going to be named Abraham because that means the, the father of many. You're going to be the father of many nations. You may laugh at me, but you're 99, but I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You're going to multiply. I am going to be your God. And uh, not only that, but you're standing in this land of Canaan, the future land of Israel. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. This is going to be the promised land. So he makes this promise to Abraham. 
And then he tells them, your end of the deal, the sign of my covenant, the, the, the sign that you are going to be a set-apart people, that you are going to be my people. So I'm going to give you this sign, and, and that sign is, is called circumcision. All males in your tribe are to be circumcised. Every male child that's born on the eighth day is to be circumcised, and circumcision will be the covenant or the sign of the covenant. So what we can see and what we can kind of imply from the text we're about to read is that uh, Moses hasn't kept that covenant. Moses hasn't kept that covenant with his own home. We'll find out while uh, he was circumcised and one of his, his oldest son was circumcised, his, his youngest son wasn't. And we can infer from the passage that uh, likely Moses kept the circumcision with the oldest boy, but when Zipporah, his wife, saw the pain and saw the thing, she, when the second one came around, she's like, all right, we're doing it my way on the second kid. You ain't going to do that to my kid anymore. And so they had one son who was circumcised and one who wasn't. So here Moses is going back to Egypt to help his people to be the covenant people, but he hasn't kept the covenant in his own home. Well, how are you supposed to lead God's people when you're not even leading your own family? And so that's what Moses is really running into. So God has Moses in a death group, and he's planning to put him to death for his disobedience. So let's see what happens next. Verse 25, this is where it really gets interesting. It says, but Moses' wife Zipporah took a flint knife and circumcised her son. And then she, she touched Moses' feet. Literally, she cast at Moses' feet the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. He let him go. So Moses, again, he's, he's in the death grip of God, and, and Zipporah uh, and him both know why. See, they understand what's going on. They realize that they haven't kept God's commandment. They haven't been faithful with that. Again, Moses is trying to lead God's people, but he hasn't led his own home. And, and so uh, when this is all going down, it, it says that Zipporah grabs a knife and he circumcised, she circumcises his son and then literally just throws it at Moses and God. There you go. God, you wanted me to obey. There's my obedience. Take it. And it, she calls him a bridegroom of blood. Moses, you're a bride. You're a husband of blood. You can tell from that, those comments, she didn't agree with this. She wasn't on board. She said, this is, this is a bloody culture. I, I, don't, I don't like this. I, I don't agree with these customs. So it gives us a little insight into their marriage. You have one person who wants to follow God's will and another person who doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And we find out later that, that she turns around and, and goes back home. She doesn't make it to Egypt. Moses does, but she doesn't. And so that's why, that's why we say, hey, if you're looking to, to date someone or you're looking to marry someone, make sure number one on your list is that they've got the same beliefs as you do, that they're following Jesus. It's so important. It's so important. Now, at the same time, if, if you're married to someone who doesn't know Jesus, just like Moses, keep that, keep that going. Don't give up. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep loving on them. Keep showing them the love of Jesus. You just never know when they might give their life to Jesus. Fulfill the vows that you made. So when Zipporah had circumcised her son, it, it said that, that God left Moses alone or that he finally he let him go. And he said, all right, now you're in compliance. Now you're obedient. You've taken care of your household. Now we can go on to what's next. Pastor Joni, would you come? 
And so Moses goes on to the next conversation. So he's got conversation number one, Jethro. Conversations two and three with his wife and kids. And now number four, he's got to go to his brother, one who's been a captive in Egypt for so many years. Verse 27 says this. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, that's Moses' brother, go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and he met Moses at the mountain of God and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told them about the miraculous signs that the Lord had commanded him to perform. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt, called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses. And Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and seen their misery, they bowed down in worship. So this is the last difficult conversation. Again, we don't know how they're going to react. What's going to happen? How's he going to respond? Is Aaron going to be bitter at me for leaving him? Is Aaron going to be mad? But when he shares the miracles, when he shares the story, not only did he accept it, not only did he say go in peace, but Aaron says, I'm in. It activated Aaron's faith. And he says, let's do this together. I'll walk alongside you. I'll follow God's will with you. And he jumped right into the plan. So you never know how somebody's going to react when you share that difficult conversation. They could respond like Jethro did. Say, that's, that's nice for you. Go in peace, but, but I'm not going to change. They could respond like Moses' wife. Push back. I can't believe this. I don't want to go along with this plan. Respond like Moses' sons. Who they said, well, all right, we'll, we'll go, but we're just going to be along for the ride. You know? Or like Moses' brother, like Aaron, who said, I'm all in. Your, your plans have changed. My plans are going to change too. I'm going to encounter God as well. So while we don't know how others will respond, we know that we need to, to share the story. We need to share the story of what God's done in our life. At the same time today too, all of us have a choice of how we personally will respond. How do we respond to the good news? You see, Moses, his message was to say, hey, salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. It's going to be supernatural. It's going to be miraculous. And we're going to free you from slavery in Egypt. And we're going to pull you out. We're going to bring you to the promised land. That was, that was his message. Well, today the message is the same, but just slightly different. Let me tell you, church, salvation is here. Salvation is here, and it's not Moses coming to save you. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus who came to save you, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross, not to save you from slavery in Egypt, but to save you from slavery to your sin. See, the Bible says we're all slaves to sin. We've all messed up. We've, we've all failed. Those addictions that we just can't shake, that we can't get rid of, that we know are wrong, those lies that we get entrapped in, that we know are wrong, it's sin. And we're slaves to it. And it says the punishment for that is death. But Jesus came and he died on a cross to take our punishment. And he rose again so that we could have life. So we could no longer be slaves to sin, but we can be children and heirs of the Most High God. 
imagine that one day we can go to the promised land. We can go to heaven. He's preparing a place for us. And so it's our choice to choose today. How do we respond to the gospel? How do we respond to the salvation message? Do we say that's nice for somebody else? Do we push back and say, no, that's not for me? Do we just say, all right, Paul, I'll go to church, but nothing really changes on the inside? Or do we say, I'm all in. God, I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. So you can make that choice today if you've never done it before. And you can make that choice to say, I'm all in. God, I need your salvation. So how do you respond today? The last thing. I just want to challenge you today if God's changed your life or if you want to pray that prayer today for a life change to take that good news back home to have difficult conversations to let the people around you to let your co-workers, let your spouse to let your kids, to let your parents whoever it might be, to let them know God has done something great in me Let me share my story with you because we're responsible for our story. So I challenge you to do that today. In in just a moment, we're going to end in kind of a different way. I want to give you just a few moments to maybe there's somebody in this place today that you need to have a difficult conversation with. Or, Or maybe it's just a family member that you can pull over and that you can share your story with. Perhaps it's a testimony of what God did a long time ago in your life. Or maybe it's something that he's been stirring. Maybe there's somebody here in this place that God's really been speaking something to you big. And you're just, you're a little scared. You're not sure. I don't know, God, if I can do that, but I really feel like it's you speaking to me. But you haven't told anybody yet. And today, today, this is the moment that you need to pull somebody aside and say, you know what, this is what God's been speaking to me. It's a big dream, but I need to tell you this. I need to pass it along. So I'm going to challenge you to do that. Uh, before we do that, I just would you bow your heads? Close your eyes for just a moment. If there's anybody in this place today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. If you need a Savior today, if you're drowning in your sin, and today you want to say, hey, I want to respond like Aaron did. I want to say I'm all in. I want to follow Jesus. I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. If there's anyone in this place and and you'd like to respond to Jesus today, would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I want to pray with you today. This is a great day. This is a great day to give your life to Jesus. Anybody in this place, I want to give this opportunity each and every time because you just never know. You never know. Today could be the day. If you're online, you can drop a comment in. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. God, I thank you for what you're doing in your church, in your people. Lord, today I pray that you would give us the strength to have some difficult conversations. To tell people the good news of what you've done in our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. God, that you'd give us the words fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that many people would respond positively. They would respond wanting to give their lives to Jesus. Lord, we pray that many people, 
God, this, this Easter week would give their lives to you. Oh, Lord Jesus. God, help us to have those difficult conversations this week. God, help us to be obedient to you because we know that it blesses the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we're not going to give a, a formal dismissal, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. Before you leave, uh, just right here in the sanctuary, take the next five minutes, find somebody. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you. We'll, we'll just have some soft music playing. And, and I want you to just have a conversation. Tell them what's God been doing in your life. Maybe it's your, your testimony of when he saved you, or maybe it's just something that he's spoken to you lately. And when you've done that,